Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 20 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Amanda Tobler. Amanda is the CEO of Community Services Number One or CS1. And uh, she's worked in the community sector for over 25 years with her first management role when she was 20 years of age, leading a team of 15 people. Her key strengths are in her diverse experience and high level understanding of the not-for-profit government and corporate sectors. She has high-level strategic thinking capabilities and vast experience in advocacy and considerable commercial experience. Amanda has an exceptional ability to achieve results in demanding and challenging environments and an ability to build excellent relationships at all levels. Amanda has strong academic qualifications, including a degree in community education, an advanced diploma of management, and a diploma of government. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Amanda. Welcome. Thank you, Jono. And I have to say, whenever I hear people read those things out, I think, who is that person? Do I know them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, um, I, I, well, on that note, I would love to, uh, to find out a bit more about your context. Um, and as we were chatting about before we clicked record, uh, uh, working and leading, you know, CS1, tell us about um, your role, what you do, um, and CS1 and, and how that fits. I, I think I've already said that I'm really fascinated by, um, and, and I think there'll be a lot of listeners that actually work in, in similar uh, sort of organizations, not-for-profits. And tell us a little bit about your organization and, and the sector and how you, how you fit. So we are a, a profit for a or profit for a purpose organisation because we actually do want to have a profit at the end of the year because that gives us an opportunity to then uh, seed fund or fund things that maybe our government can't do. We're right. a generalist community agency, so we provide everything from early education and care right through to aged care services, uh, in home but not residential aged care services. We operate both in the ACT and the Murrumbidgee LHD, which is a new program for us. We've only just started working in New South Wales, which is part of our strategic plan and our strategic growth as an organisation. So we have about, uh, we're about $20 million as uh, an income, about 250 staff working over 13 sites and way too many regulatory bodies and standards that we have to ensure that we meet <laughs> across all sorts of areas. Uh, we provide food pantries, uh, community transport, social support groups, uh, an USH program, so working in one, um, one of our schools and we're just about to launch our, our next second program uh, in USH next year, working in one of the ACT public um, schools. Uh, so we have all sorts of people doing all sorts of things. We uh, have seen 
a increase of services and need for certainly the ACT community throughout the, the latest lockdown here. We've had a 50% increase in our food pantry uh, and we provided as an agency over 5,000 individual hampers uh, for a collective of people who are in lockdown uh, for a period of five weeks here in the ACT as well as a series of contactless drop-off hampers to different families and community that were in isolation uh, throughout that lockdown period. It's been, I think, the last couple of years for the sector a really different and difficult time, but I think it's also been a time for us, and as I've said to the staff, when the latest lockdown happened that this is our time to lean in this is our time to stand up and and show the community and show the government and be there uh, when to show them what we do and to really showcase how we are here to serve our community and we take that really seriously as an organization that our role is about serving the community our role is to ensure that the community's needs are met and I'm so very proud of all of the work that the team has done across all of the services to ensure that the community have stayed connected, stayed healthy, stayed fed, uh, and ensured that uh, children can continue to be cared for and educated throughout this period. Yeah, incredible. Uh, what an incredible mission and an incredible organisation. And uh, tell us your story. You can go back as far as you want. <laughs> How did you? How did you become? I know it's all. It's always a big question. Well, where you know how much time do we have? But exactly. um, interested to know the moments that really shaped Amanda becoming the leader that you are today. Oh, gosh. So as as in my intro, I've been in the sector now over twenty five years. My first management role was when I was twenty. So people may sort of start to guess maybe um, of my age, but I always feel that I look much younger than my age. Um, and I think, and the, and the organisation I worked for had to get permission to for me to actually start to manage a collective because it was under a regulatory system. So I think early on I learnt the difference between um, when you need to be a manager and, and a leader and when you need to be an individual's um, friend and engage at that much more personal level because I was so much younger than a lot of my staff line. So it was actually about building that rapport and, and that respect and that, that belief that I could do the job that I'd been asked to do. Mm. Um, I think for me over the years I've worked, uh, I've worked at Lifeline Canberra, I worked there for for eight years and I uh, was there during the Canberra bushfires and really supported uh, the team through that crisis for our community but also we had a 350% increase in phone calls two days after uh, the fires had gone through the ACT. So it was really our community needing us to do more and do different things. And I think that's where I started to learn not only that we were there to serve the community and what they needed was really important and that we needed to be cognizant and listen to that and respond to that versus um, me as a, as a leader choosing what the community needed from, from the organisation. But I think also at that time that really made me learn a lot about self-care yes. and ensuring that I looked after me 
so that I could look after the team and I could look after the community that we were there to support. Um, so that's, I think, really where I learned a lot about uh, what I needed to do for me in making sure that I was um, capable and able. Um, and I think, you know, I've worked in areas and led teams through very big crises, through um, teams where they are, uh, services are operating 24 hours a day, that we have children's lives in our hands, that we are supporting uh, very vulnerable collectives and communities. And it's about, I suppose, I've always tried to make decisions on uh, with the very best information that I have, um, forgiving myself if sometimes those decisions were maybe not the best in hindsight, but you go in with all of the information I had, that's the best decision I could make. And I have to, I have to stand by that, and that's okay. Mm. Um, and I think then, you know, as I've gone on, and I think I was saying to you earlier, one of the things I would have loved as a very early manager was to actually have people really supporting uh, my leadership growth. Mm. And I think that's probably where I've, you, you know, you stumble into things and you work along, and you think, gosh, have I done this well? Is that okay? Uh, and I think that's what I try and give back now to to emerging leaders and to young leaders is uh, the ability to have someone to have them coached or mentored, uh, give them opportunities. Um, you're never too young. And I think that sometimes um, I started out, as I say, very young as a leader, but I also had people over the years who have said, uh, while we think you're competent, you're just not old enough. <laughs> And uh, which is an interesting kind of concept. And um, it's about making sure that you can um, support people who are coming through those ranks if they are young and say it's okay. Um, you have the ability and don't ever let anyone say that just because you're young you can't be a manager or you can't lead a team or you can't lead an organisation. Um, so... I think for me, it's it's been a, a journey of um, self-reflection and, and learning, and I do a lot of reflecting on what I think I need to change. Yeah. Um, and I talk a lot about to people I'm coaching that that's what you need to do. Um, but look, I'm born and bred Canberran. I'm second generation. Uh, my family have been here since 1927. I very much feel very privileged to serve this community. Yeah, wonderful. I, I really appreciate your perspective. As as you look back over over your life, and you can go back to to childhood with this question as well, even if you want. But um, are there any are there any specific moments that come to mind where you think that's right? When I saw that leader handle that situation, or when when I saw that person going through that, you know, around me, or when I uh, when I dropped the ball there, but that. I, you know, I learned from that to be able to, to do X, Y, or Z, you know, are there any of those moments that come to mind that those specific moments where you go, yeah, that was for some reason, sometimes we don't even know why, but we just go, that was really pivotal. Anything that comes to mind? I think for me, um, I come from a, a world of, of two different worlds emerging uh, or merging together. My mum was an orphan at three and came from a, a very poor um, background in Portugal. And wow. my dad uh, came from a world of, um, you know, of privilege. 
And so I've always said that my I've figured out over the years that I have to try and figure out how to marry my mum's heart and my father's business brain together in what I do. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've always tried to to figure that out because my mum taught me about my empathy and and relationship and being um, with people and being with people on that journey. And my dad taught me all about how to run a business and how to actually look at P&Ls and how to actually make sure that you save money so you can spend it when you need it and for a rainy day and how you mm. can, um, you know, you need to make sure that there's always, you know, money coming in but that you're not spending any more that's coming in the door. Um, and he ran a very successful business for many years here in the ACT. Mm. So I think part of it has always been that, that's where I've always tried to figure out how to marry those two worlds together in what I do. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, my father wanted me to be a lawyer uh, or an accountant. No offence to accountants, I think that's really boring. Um, <laughs> and I think the day that my dad, uh, when I said to dad I wanted to go to uni and, and do um, community, he was like, oh, I don't know about this. How are you going to survive it? You know, as in put food on your table kind of thing. Yeah. And many years later, um, he said to me, I'm so very proud of what mm. you do and the services that you provide and the people that you've supported. And I think that was that was the moment that I knew I was doing okay. Yeah. Um, and that was the moment that I went, actually, um, this is what I'm meant to do. I, and I never... Mm. I never wanted to be anything else. I never wanted a, a different role. I always wanted to be somebody who was, who was leading a team, and I and I take that really seriously. And um, my job is as a servant leader, and I'm very much a servant leader, is to lead from in front of the desk, lead with relationships, lead with um, listening to the team, and making sure they're on the journey with me. Um, and I've learned over the years that sometimes I need to. To, to pause and slow down and bring bring them on that journey a little bit slower for them. Um, and it's been um, at times, you know, I think that you go, I did that okay. And I look at other leaders and I talk and I think, what, what do I like about you? What do I see in you that I want to emulate? Mm. Um, and I look at somebody like um, President Obama and I think he's, ability to show empathy and connection is something that uh, is something that I want to emulate that I want to say I want people to say that doesn't mean that you can't make decisions and it doesn't mean that you're not there to to you know to lead through a crisis or the tough times but it's remembering that you're talking about people um, yes. I, I work with people I am supporting people and our community is about people yeah absolutely and and um, leadership is about people, so it's uh, it's it's so true. I, everything you said there, servant leadership. I, I love the idea of um, servant leadership, the philosophy of servant leadership. If one of our listeners uh, was, say, a young leader who heard that and went, "I really want to do that," and you were you were sitting down over a coffee with them, and and they said, "You know, um, Amanda, how can I?" what can I do as a young leader to live out this this servant leadership sort of philosophy? What, what advice would you give them? I think it's about figuring out that um, 
as a leader, <laughs> and I, I love, I, I don't even know where I read it, but I read it many years ago that, about leadership and it says, you know, um, if you are a leader that doesn't have any followers, then you're just a person going for a walk. Um, (laughs) it's about that you have to bring them on that journey you have to actually engage with people um, to be a leader because I can't lead without people Um, (laughs) and I and I think that that imagery has always stuck in my head of actually if I'm not um, engaging and, and working with the team then I'm actually just hanging out on my own which is something that I don't like doing. I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a herd animal. I like to be with people. Yes. Um, so I think for me, servant leadership and what I would say to them is, it's about making sure that there's that those people count, that you see those people, that everybody is important and everybody has um, an opinion and should be valued. It doesn't matter if it is the board chair or if it is the cleaner. They are valued in the same way they are somebody that you need to get to know they are somebody that you are there to serve um that you are there to guide and shape and help but to hear and listen from Mm. um and i think that one of the things that we as an organization when i started we really spent a lot of time on our strategic plan and Lots of people said we we took too long. We actually took 18 months to build our strategic plan. Mm. Um, And I spoke to over 70 different groups from the MLAs, the MPs, ministers, um, right through to our clients and our children and our staff. And the question I would start with in every one of those meetings was, how can we serve you? How can our organisation serve you as an individual or your family or your community. Um, And that's what servant leadership to me is about. It's about saying I'm here to help and support you to be the very best. Um, And so I think it's about getting out from behind the desk. It's not about being a cop. It's not about being always right. Um, It's about building relationships with your staff. It's about being there and sometimes, you know, and working in the sector, um, I've done everything from clean the toilets, uh, moving furniture, paint walls, um, mucking in and getting in with the teams. And I don't ask a team to do something or an individual to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Um, and I think it's about showing that to staff and showing that through action. Um, and certainly in the last couple of weeks during lockdown, uh, as I said, we did lots of hampers. So I was in there and I was helping make those hampers with the staff. Um, I've been on our reception at times when nobody else could be there. And it's about actually saying, I'm no better than anybody else in this building. Um, we are we are here together as a team. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great answer, actually. I think anyone listening, if they could just implement a few of those things. Uh, I really love your idea of uh, leading from in front of the desk. I think that's I think that's just such a, a an important thought is to get out from behind the desk and go and spend time with your people. It's it's something that's come up a lot when I've been coaching leaders and and just talking about what what are some really practical things you can do as a leader uh, to 
I guess, to build team and to, to, to work on culture. And this is one of those things that I feel like is always a win. And it's just building that connection with your people. Yeah. And, and one of the ways you do that when, when people sort of say, well, how can I do that? It's just go and spend some time with them. Just go and get out from behind the desk, like you said, and just go and um, check in with them. And before you ask them about the project, say, hey, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? How's your mm-hmm. life? And yeah. it's it's actually really shocking how how much that can mean to, to someone. I think leaders get surprised when someone goes, oh, uh, particularly if someone hasn't been leading like that and then they start actually leaning into this idea of just getting out there and relating to their people. Um, it can be a really significant and such a simple idea, but it's it's so powerful. Absolutely. And I can remember I had, um, I was coaching somebody many, many years ago and we were talking about the open door policy, which I always love when people talk to me about open door policies. Yeah, I have an open door policy, this person said to me. Um, mm. And um, and they said, my, and I said, what does that mean? And they said, my door's always open. Um, and I said, yeah, but does anyone come in? And they <laughs> said, no. And I said, then you don't have an open door policy. If you're, and and they, an open door policy doesn't mean my, my office door is open. Mm. It means that staff are, that they feel that they can talk to you, that they, um, that you go to them, you go to their space and their mm. place and that you invite them to continue to always engage with you and talk to you um, and that you're, you are engaging and you're building those relationships and, as you say, I think it's sometimes when staff are, are um, surprised but always love when you when you remember something about them, they're individuals. Hey, the last time I saw you, you were telling me that you were getting a puppy. How's the puppy? Mm. What sort of puppy is it? Oh, the you know, how was your holiday? Mm. Um, and it's actually looking at them as individuals and as people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you talked a little bit about strategic planning and your 18 month uh, process you went through, <laughs> which, which I, I really love. Um, I'm a big fan of um, the process in the book, uh, blue ocean, uh, blue ocean strategy. I don't know if you've come across that book before, no. um, but it's, um, it's great because one of the things they talk about, it's, it's really just a new take on strategic planning. And a big part of the book is all about how we engaging with, with people. It's, it's about flipping it from being this, um, this idea of just putting something together with a few of us and actually having, they talk about sort of having a working a working group or a task force that actually do, like that does what you did, um, you know, and, and, and with you actually goes out and, and spends all this time. So I think, um, yeah, I love that, that you have that approach. What, how would you unpack your thoughts on strategic planning? Um, maybe I can rephrase it by saying, what does good strategic planning look like <laughs> versus terrible strategic planning based on your experience? Um, I, and I've been, in, I've been in both processes, I think. Yeah. Um, look, I think that a lot of strategic plans, uh, as you say, when they are, and I always talk about, you know, the bad ones where they are planned behind closed doors, they're planned with the board and the executive team, and then they're basically, they're a ticker box and they sit on the shelf and we don't re-look at them for another, you know, three or four years. Um, but we always say we've got a strategic plan. Mm. And as I say, we took 18 months. We have, and people have actually, uh, I, I went and presented our strategic plan to another organisation after we had completed the process. And in part of it, 
is uh, we used we've only gone for outcomes, so it's an outcomes focused strategic plan. Yeah. There is no goals in our strategic plan. There is um, a we have on the back of our strategic plan a cultural statement, which is really important to us as a community and to our staff. And that was uh, very much driven by our staff of what is our commitment to each other, what is our commitment to our community, and how will we want people to see us as an organisation. Mm. Um, and when I went and presented our, our, the plan to this organisation, this man who was the treasurer of that organisation was very affronted with me because nowhere in our strategic plan does it mention financial um, stability <laughs> or financial gain, or there is nothing about it that actually mentions finances. Um, and he actually threw the plan on the table and said to me, this is, this is just wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I said to him, we as a community agency don't open our doors to be financially viable. That's not a strategic plan or a goal for us as an organisation. Mm. And I said to him, I have a treasurer, an accountant and an economist on the board. I said, you know, I have, uh, and two lawyers. I said, these people are not silly people that have actually um, worked through this process and agreed to this plan. I said, financial viability is something that we have to do every day. It's not a strategic goal. It's everyday business. I have to be financially sound to open our doors. But that's mm. not the reason we open our doors. We open our doors uh, to connect and enrich the community's lives. That's what we open our doors to do. And when we actually went through all of this process of listening to all of these people, there was one common theme in every meeting that I held. And as I said, we did over 70-odd meetings with all sorts of people, and that was connection. People mm. wanted to, to feel connected to their families, to their workmates, to their suburb, to their community at large. Mm. They wanted connection. Um, and that strategic plan has really held up for us and been tested over the last couple of years through a pandemic or now, you know, two years of a global pandemic mm. because what we have done in all of the programs and all of the ways we've shifted our programs is to ensure that we've remained connected. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, you know, when we look at reviewing our strategic plan and saying, does this help guide and shape our organisation? Absolutely, categorically. And I think that's when we can say it's a good plan, um, mm. that we've actually made something that makes sense to us as a community and as an agency, as the leadership team, as a board, but also we can say to the community, we are meeting our vision every day that you helped us create um, and that that guides us in what we do. Uh, so I, for me, I, I think a good strategic planning process is actually getting out of the boardroom, listening to people, um, taking your time. And somebody said to me when we we're in the middle of it, this is going to be the best craft of four pages in the world. And I said, yeah, I hope so, because this is going to guide the way that I work, the guide the way that our board works, the guide the way that we put our resources as an organisation um, every day for the next four years and beyond. So this has to be a document and words that actually really help that happen. 
versing, as I say, a document that sits on a shelf until the four years later and everyone goes, oh, okay, maybe we should look at that. Um, it's a document that our board uh, is talked about in every one of our board meetings. We report to it um, and we build our organisation and the way we operate uh, all around our strategic plan. And it's something that uh, when we came to the end of it and we actually announced it to the staff, that they were so excited. They were so excited about the words that were in it because they saw the words that they had used through that process in the document. They felt part of it. They felt engaged and invigorated to actually uh, ensure that we could make it happen. Mm. That's that's a wonderful um, experience and so different to to so many other organizations I've come across with their strategic planning when they struggle at times to get people to buy in and to actually lean into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's about listening, asking questions. And somebody said to me, did you actually, uh, what was your expected, what did you have as the expected outcome of the strategic plan when you started? And I said, I didn't have one. And I said, I had no, um, no, um, perceived notion of what it was going to look like, of what it was going to say, of what we were going to have as our as our um, uh, purpose for the coming years. And I said, and I think that allowed uh, me to actually be open to what people were telling us instead of me trying to guide it into sort of something that would make sense to me or to the board. And when we actually, the way we presented, because after we'd had all these millions of meetings, we actually presented to the board and to the staff and to everybody that had been on that journey with us, we actually did a full presentation, um, like an interactive presentation that had different parts of the feedback. We had um, we'd recorded voices of people giving different ideas and thoughts. We had our children had done pictures of what they wanted the organisation to look like or feel like. And we presented this all the way down the main corridor of our head office and into our, our hall. And the belief was that it would take the board, and we gave the board at the time sort of uh, a series of questions that they had to talk to each other about and answer. So this was all before we got into the board room to actually start discussing what was going to be the, the legs of the strategic plan. Yeah. And um, we thought this is going to take you know, maybe an hour for, for people to go through and, and, you know, be interactive and engaging. It took them three and a half hours because mm. um, they wow. had all sorts of things and puzzles to work through different elements of the feedback we had got. Wow. And, um, and the, board, uh, the board chair and the governance committee who, had, uh, who was helping me lead this process, we just let it go. We sort of went, this is, <laughs> this is the moment that they need to, hear from the community and hear from our yeah. staff and, and our clients. And then when we actually got into the boardroom to actually start to figure out what might be the outcomes and what might be the purpose of our organisation, that was actually done within an hour because wow. they had spent so much time and they had been part of those conversations throughout that 18 months, they'd been part of those meetings. So because all of that had happened, the actual coming together of, of what we realised we were there to do as an organisation was really easy because it was there in all of the different feedback and the, and the stories and things that people had told us on, along that journey. So that was the moment that was really easy. Um, mm. We didn't struggle with that. Uh, so 
it certainly um, was, I think, for us an as an organisation and me as, and I'd only been with the organisation about 12 months by then, um, yeah. a really pivotal moment for, for me as that leader because it then gave me um, a really clear vision and plan for what, what, where we were going as an organisation. Yeah, I, I love the process you went through, I think, uh, and I love the approach, how you just let it go, it, you know, let them take three and a half hours because that's the real work, right? That is the immersion, yeah. is the, and then you all got together and, and it all came together very quickly. Um, what a great story and such a such a wonderful example of, in my opinion, that is a wonderful example of great strategic planning. And I can see why that has held up through a, such a, a strategically challenging couple of years where you would have had to make so many changes, you would have had to be adaptive, but what you put together, that wouldn't have changed. The overall direction would have been the same around connection and, and it's just that you would have had to think on your feet about what that might look like in a pandemic <laughs> rather yeah. than having a strategic plan that was very much based on um, finances and based on uh, maybe tactics rather than outcomes, which which then you sort of have to throw out when something like COVID happens. Uh, so, no, it makes perfect sense to me that it, that it held up so well. Yeah, yeah. And we're very... And we're very proud of it and it's part of our induction for our or every staff member. Um, the cultural statement on the end is the commitment we ask new staff members to make to us as, a, as an agency, to mm. their fellow teammates and to the community. Um, it's part of the uh, prerequisite for new board members to actually yeah. um, sign up to it because this it, it is something that we we actually have and talk about all every day. Yes. Um, it sits on my wall in my office for every staff member to see. Uh, it is in all sorts of places in our organisation. So it's not something that uh, that gets dust on it and that you sort of think, where did I put that? Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is very much the guide for us. Yeah, wonderful. And and now I just, um, I'm having a quick look and it looks like it is, it's publicly available if people want to go and have a look at it. Absolutely. It is on our website. Yeah, communityservices1.org. That's and, it. Uh, it. What I just did is I just uh, Googled Community Services 1 Strategic Plan and it came up there 2019 to 2024. I, I know people listening will be interested because strategic planning is one of those things that comes up so often for leaders. And to be honest, it's one of the things that I see uh, done poorly the most in some ways. It's uh, <laughs> like you said, you nailed it on the head. What do we do? We don't get anyone involved. We do it in a closed room and go, yeah, this looks great. Then we file it away. No one looks at it until we get together again in four years and pull it out to uh, to to redo it again. So uh, it's so funny. You just hit the nail on the head. And I'm just looking at your strategic plan and it is a concise four pages. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> hearing you say that process. I don't know what I was expecting, but people should go and check it out. It's so concise. Um, and I love that. And the culture statement, oh, it's just, yeah. I, oh, if you I'm, read our last line on our, on our cultural hmm. statement, yeah, that's my favourite. It guarantees the success of our collaboration both inward and outward. And then go to the very last line of the actual statement. If you look at the very last line on the actual cultural statement, 
uh, is that the We Inspire Fun or yeah. maybe? Yeah. Yeah. We inspire fun in our everyday working life and know that humor and laughter are important for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite. Great. Cause I yeah. think that we work really hard. We do really hard jobs we have. And I think, you know, that through an, through a pandemic, we've been deemed essential services mm. the whole way along. Yeah. Um, our community, our governments have asked us to step up and lean in, but, that doesn't mean that you can't do it with some fun and actually remembering that we're humans and again that connection and we have you come into our building and there's there's laughter there is we do work we ha we work really hard but we make sure that we we connect and we have a laugh and we um enjoy each other's company at the same time and i think that's really important yeah amazing uh well that's a great place to uh to wrap up today's episode I think, um, yeah, I, I really love that. That's your favorite part about inspiring fun, and and so it, so it, so it should be because it's something. Once again, it's probably something that's missing from so many of our organizations, and it's something that a lot of leaders, I know personally, it, it's easy to to forget that, and it's actually so so important if you can keep the fun, the laughter, the connection up with the hard work that that's that makes a culture that people love to work at so did you have any uh final thoughts for listeners amanda oh look i just want to say um please check out our website please check out follow us on facebook twitter uh instagram uh, we have lots of different things that happen in our organization that's how i normally learn what's going on um if people want to have some conversations or learn a bit more about our strategic planning process email me i'm really happy for people to um to work through it or chat about it because i think it's something that i'm really proud of as an organization that we did in the way we did it and as i say i think it really has helped us throughout the last couple of years. And I think that through having a really strong strategic plan that staff are engaged and embedded in makes an organization so much better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, well, thank you to our listeners. Appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget that you can also uh, listen to our other podcasts that we have at Clarity. We have the John O. White Leadership Podcast where I give you content uh, on all things leadership in, in sort of five or 10 minute sort of bite-sized things like seven tips on culture, etc. And then we have the leadership question of the day where I ask you a different leadership question every day to put a stone in your shoe, so to speak, and, uh, and just to help you grow in your leadership. So a big thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in. But I just want to say once again, a massive thank you. And I, I have, uh, I feel my brain ticking over about strategic planning. And I think I'm going to approach it slightly differently moving forward because it's been such a helpful conversation and, uh, and about servant leadership. So I just want to say a really, really big thank you uh, to Amanda. Thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, being so generous with your time and sharing your insights. Thanks, Jono. Well, I hope today's leadership question has helped you in your leadership and put a stone in your shoe. That's what I, that's what I love to say is that my role, I believe, working with leaders is about putting a stone in your shoe. So something you were really comfortable with, now you're walking a little bit uncomfortably going, mm, is there a better way to do this? How do I handle this? And uh, that's because no growth is comfortable. So uh, I hope that's okay. 
I appreciate you taking the time. I don't take it lightly. And if you are just joining us, then make sure you check out our website, consultclarity.org, consultclarity.org. We have so much free content on there for you, including the seven questions on leadership series. So more than 1,500 leaders around the world Different roles, different sectors have filled out the seven questions on leadership. In-depth answers on how they lead, what they've found most challenging, how they structure their time, what book or books have been most significant for them. There is so much gold on there. You could go and and basically live in that part of our website for a few weeks, I think. Uh, So make sure you go and check that out. It's free. And hey, we would love to interview you for our uh, seven questions on leadership series. Your leadership, based on your, uh, you know, your context, your life, and your experience, I believe that you can bring something that other leaders can learn from. I, I truly do, and so it's completely free to get involved. It's a great way to give back if you're loving this content, and you can do that by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and then click on the page fill out the form to express your interest and we can get you going to fill out the seven questions on leadership we also have a free resource on our website it's right at the top consultclarity.org on our homepage, and it's called the leadership survival guide it's a 57 page ebook with interviews uh, from 10 world-class leaders and it's right there for you to download it's completely free and awesome resource it's very popular so check that out We also have a daily email, and I know that our more than 15,000 leaders who subscribe get a lot of value from that. We highlight the best content from our blogs, from our podcasts, uh, from our books and books we're reading. It also gives you exclusive and limited access and early access to our masterclasses and workshops. So uh, I really try to make it something as helpful and as valuable as possible. That's my commitment. And so go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe if you're interested in all things leadership and you can become part of that community. Now, my gift to you with everything we're doing, particularly with this podcast, The Leadership Question of the Day, is to work really hard to provide uh, the best leadership content to invest in you and your leadership. Your gift to me would be this. If you're finding this helpful, if this helps you in your leadership, then there is something you can do that makes a massive difference, and that is to write a review or rate our content. Wherever you're listening or watching, rate our content, write a review, make sure you subscribe or follow. It might seem small to you to do that, but it adds up and it helps us to help more leaders become the best they can be. It also means a lot to me personally whenever I see you sharing our content, so thank you so much for that. If you do share it on social media, then look for me, John O'White, and try to tag me and look for clarity and tag us And I promise we are always looking for content shared by our community. When people share our content, we're looking to engage with you. And we, you know, there's also a chance that we may actually share what you write uh, as a a post with with our followers. So if you do that, there's a chance you'll be shared as well. Last of all, you can check out my book called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because more than 50% of the leaders I coach, 50% of the sessions, sorry, where I coach leaders, this comes up again and again and again. And it's leaders saying, Jono, how do I deal with this difficult person? Or how do I deal with this person? And I'm finding it so difficult. We're just on a different wavelength. And that's because difficult conversations are uh, difficult. 
And I find this is one of the biggest challenges for leaders in the world today. And that's where Step Up or Step Out is a three-step process to help you deal well with difficult people. Uh, I really believe it's a book that can help you in your leadership. So go and check that out. It's on Amazon, Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, if you just look that up. Or go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and you can get it there. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode of the Leadership Question of the Day next time. I hope today has helped you take another step towards becoming everything you're meant to be. We'll see you next time.